So, my name's John Haynes. Uh, for everybody can, stand on up. And actually, if you can all move and group together. We're going to get a little active. I don't know about you guys. I'm a little tired. <laughs> what? No, no, no. Just get together. Yeah, sit together. Your family. Love each other. But stand up. Keep standing up. Stand up. We're going to sing a song from Atlanta, Georgia. Now, this is a very spiritual song. See, Jesus was a man who lived nearby a sea. And the sea was called Galilee. So we're going to sing Sea of Galilee. I'll give you a little um, intro to what it looks like. So it's, it's a very interactive song. I'll be up here and I'll be saying things like, there's a sea, there's a sea, there's a sea of Galilee. There's a sea, there's a sea, there's a sea of Galilee. There's a sea, there's a sea, there's a sea of Galilee. And then stuff will start to be added onto the sea, like a boat and stuff that goes on boats. And we'll be going progressively faster. Is everybody prepared? Can I get some helpers? Come on up. You can sit down now. That's a little bit of what we do in Atlanta. So a little bit about me. My name is John Haynes again. Uh, I just graduated with my master's in conflict resolution. I figured because I started a lot of conflict that I should know how to deal with it since it's around me so often. Um, I currently serve, I work as uh, one of the very blessed people who get to serve in the campus ministry. Uh, I work with Georgia Tech students. They're all engineers. So uh, I graduated in conflict resolution and literature. So very uncomfortable environment for me at times. Um, but I just wanted to share about you guys. It's been, uh, there's five of us up here and it's just been a blessing to be here. Uh, we've been loving it, we've been eating it up, we've been cracking jokes at each other during all the lessons of how awesome it is. 
Uh, but we, we keep on saying one thing, and that's that we keep on forgetting that we're not in Georgia. And I think part of that is because the surrounding area looks very familiar to where we're at. But I think the, ver- the other part is that we feel very united with you guys. Very united in purpose and passion and in conviction. And it honestly doesn't feel like we've left home when it comes to that. And that we've been accepted as family. So I want to thank you guys for that. Uh, say that's been a real blessing. Um, and uh, a-, a little bit of good news from back home. Uh, we had like... You just start the semester, and you have, like, one of the roughest starts ever. We had, I think, about 70% of our ministry just get sick, like, flu-level sick, like, just took us out. And it's just been one hardship after the other. Um, but God has been moving powerfully. We had three years ago, uh, we prayed as campus ministers that, you know, our campus ministry could reach 200 people uh, by this uh, by. May of this year. Um, And this year we had 35 people that we've seen become Christians this semester. um, And we reached 200 people. And it's just an amazing blessing of God's power. Um, So please keep North River in your prayers. We don't want to stop. We want to keep on going. Um, But I'm glad to talk about encouragement and accountability and reviving it. And so you all chose to come here for this class. So I figured I didn't need to convince you that there needed to be a, revivable, a revival of encouragement and accountability, uh, but rather to show you what it looks like to have it revived and to show you what encouragement and accountability looks like. And so I want us to get interactive again. I want you to look around at the people next to you. Get a good look, person in front, person to your right, person to your left, person behind you. And on the count of three, I want you to point to the person who looks like the biggest sinner. One, two, three. Wow. There's, she's pointing at herself. Very spiritual. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's a little uncomfortable to just point at somebody and call them a sinner. I think... Our culture tells us uh, that we like, first of all, comfortability. Um, But also our culture values this idea of tolerance. And we need to tolerate everybody's actions, everybody's ideas, and everybody's belief. And that to call somebody out on their actions, on their behavior, is wrong. And this is the heart behind encouragement and accountability. Uh, and it's kind of two ends of the spectrum where we find ourselves being a little too accountable and we're just speaking truth at people uh, and nobody feels loved, everybody feels hurt and you're calling out every little thing and people are avoiding you because you just don't have anything nice to say. And then the other end is too much encouragement where you're not willing to call anybody out on their character. Uh, You don't want to offend anybody. Uh, You don't want to say the wrong thing, and so you keep silent instead. And what I love about Jesus is that he has a balance of both. You all have looked at Jesus and seen what an amazing man he is and have fallen in love with the love, compassion, and comfort he has shown. But we also remember that he got crucified on a cross. And nice people like Mr. Rogers don't get crucified on a cross. People who say radical things 
get crucified on a cross. And so raise of hands, who feels like they gear more towards, I like, you know, I like calling people out, calling them on their junk, get a little accountable. Raise your hands. Um, and uh, why? Why? Tanner. Yeah. Stand up, speak loud. <laughs> I don't think there's a correct answer. I'm just curious. Who else had their hand up? You all put your hands down. You don't want to. <laughs> well, one of the reasons why, why I find it enjoyable is because it makes the person see that what they're doing is wrong. And, it, and at least to me, it makes them realize that there's someone in the room or in the group that they're with that actually cares enough Yeah, so it's a heart uh, of love. I gear more towards that. Um, I don't have the spiritual gift of patience. And so if something bothers me, I make it known. Uh, sometimes a little too much. All right, now everybody else who didn't raise their hand, who, who gears more towards the encouraging side? Raise your hand. Awesome. Uh, who, who wants to share why? I feel that way. So we don't want to be hypocritical. Don't want to be seen as holier than thou. Um, who else? I need a sister. There we go. So you can still encourage while calling people out. And it's, it's a balance between uh, the two. And you, you need this balance. I needed this balance the other week. Uh, I finished my master's research paper. It was about 50 pages due uh, two weeks ago. And a couple of days before it was all due, I lost like 10 pages of it. Couldn't find it. I, my computer crashed and it just all the data loss. And to say that I was in a mindset that was seeking first his kingdom would not be true. <laughs> I didn't have a nervous breakdown. I don't know how that occurred, but I do think I did have a, pan a panic attack. Um, and I remember just freaking out. I called my mom. This is when you just call and you're like, Mama. <laughs> And I was just like, I can't do it anymore. It's, it's too much. And then she's like, all right, do you want to like drop out or drop the course? I'm like, no, I have to finish it. She's like, all right, are you going to do it? I'm like, no, it's too much. I just, I was a mess. Um, and then she tried to give me helpful advice. And to my shame, I just hung up on her. 
And I appreciate my roommates. My roommates loved up on me and said, I'm sorry, bro, and we feel for you. Um, but they also told me to stop, you know, throwing myself a, a, a party for her and, and just uh, buck up and go and do something. And I needed a little bit of both. I needed them to encourage me. I needed them to show them that they loved me. Uh, but I needed them to remind me that the world didn't revolve around me. I needed them to remind me that if Jesus was coming back the next day, I would care less and I wouldn't be working on my paper at all. Jesus didn't come back the next day, and so I had to get back to working on my paper. Um, but balance is, a, balance is a hard thing for me. I'm a man of extremes, and I'd like to share how I became a Christian. Um, my parents actually, my parents worked in the church, and so I grew up, pastor's kid, uh, going to church five times a week, and I was the stereotypical Jesus kid, um, probably up until I was about 11 years old. I loved life. I loved God. I loved going to church. I loved being a part of the church. I loved that all of my friends and family just came from the church, and it was a great environment. And then when I was 11, we moved to Florida. And that's already hard on a child, but at that time, I was diagnosed with uh, epilepsy as well as depression as well as a processing disorder, all on a, a couple of year periods of time, um, as well as fu high functioning autism. And uh, the autism was diagnosed early on, uh, but of course when you move and you have no friends and you have to meet people and you have no social skills, it's really hard to make friends. Um, and when you're weird and don't know how to talk to people and short, it's really easy for people to make fun of you. And so from fifth grade to ninth to 10th grade, I had no friends. I had no people come over to my house and hang out with me. Um, I hated myself. I remember uh, crying myself to sleep. I remember planning out how I was going to commit suicide and just that nobody would miss me in this world. And I was about to do it in the eighth grade. And uh, I planned everything out. And I went to school. And it was interesting because I prayed to God beforehand. I said, God, I kind of know you're out there. I'm not really following you. And I know this is wrong. So give me a sign if I shouldn't do this. And that one day at school, nobody bullied me. They actually said nice things about me. They actually asked me to sit with them at the lunch table and were nice to me the whole day. And nothing happened. And then the next day, everything went back to normal. And I was like, all right, sign from God. <laughs> Don't kill yourself. Um, but I, I, I had gotten to a place where I wanted things to start revolving around me. And because God's way, or at least what I thought was God's way, wasn't the way that was working out for me, I went a completely different route. And uh, by the grace of God, um, in high school, uh, I was taken off medication for my epilepsy, said it went away. Um, I started growing out of my uh, autism. Um, I wasn't dealing with depression or panic attacks anymore. And uh, I made friends with the right people, and I became part of the right crowd. Um, 
And for the first time, I thought that I felt happy. And I went off to college thinking, this is what I need to do. I just need to meet the right people. I need to be surrounded by them. And that's what's going to bring joy to my life. And I'm going to do anything I can to make sure I have that and not let go of it. Because I know what it's like to be alone and empty with no friends. And I don't want to ever experience that again. And so what happened is I became a compulsive liar. There's still stuff in my past. I don't know whether it's true or a lie I've made up about my past. Because I would lie until I believed it. Because I looked at the person inside and I said, nobody could love you. Nobody can care about you. I hate you. And so you can't show this you to anybody else. And it was at the end of my freshman year of college uh, when I had just, you know, obviously you, you're steeped in that. You're steeped in that insecurity. Um, and you're dictated and pulled around by everybody where I started experiencing depression and anxiety again. And I was like, well, I need to find Jesus so I don't have to deal with this anymore. And I remember getting with some guys and telling them, I'm going to start following Jesus now. And they asked me why. And I said, well, I'm tired of being depressed. I know it's the right thing to do. And I don't want to go to hell. So I'm going to do it. And I remember one of the guys looking at me, he said a little bit of truth. That's the most selfish crap I've ever heard come out of your mouth. And I've heard a lot of selfish stuff come out of your mouth. And then they started to share about how selfish and arrogant I was. Um, And I was like crying like a baby. Apparently, I just asked them the other day, and they said I was on the ground moaning um, and groaning. But it it, it was an experience when I realized that I, I I didn't love myself. And I put on this image, and I had to talk myself up. Um, and that's the way I could support myself and go on. And when I realized that was an empty shell that actually hurt people, and the person that it hurt the most was me, I was ashamed at who I was. And then I realized for the first time in my life that the only person I hurt more than myself was Jesus. And that this Jesus died for that person. He loved that person. And I was like, if that's any bit true, this is the man I want to follow for the rest of my life. This is the person I want to be like. This is the person I want to glorify. And like I said, I'm not a person of balance. So after that experience, I said, all right, I'm going to follow Jesus with everything, but I'm not going to become a Christian because I don't want to defame the name of Jesus. And then the next five days, we're learning about grace. And I became a Christian, uh, actually May 12th, four years and one day ago. And that led me, I was uh, a physics major, I was a physics, communications, and biology major, pre-med. I wanted to be a doctor. Uh, I dropped all of that, and I convinced myself I was going to move to the Middle East and preach the word. Extreme personality. Um, I told my parents that, and then I re-enrolled in classes because wisdom. And, uh, and I switched. I dropped my major. I switched to a theology major. And I was like, I'm going to change the world, but I'm going to do it for Jesus. And I came, and 
I, I, I was about an hour away from the church I was going to. I didn't really have any accountability or encouragement. So I just got really bitter, really arrogant, really prideful. And um, I thought that I was the greatest. I thought I was going to be the revival. I, I looked around and I'm like, nobody is doing this. Nobody's going sharing their faith. Nobody's going making disciples. It's just me. And um, I looked down on other people. I looked down at the people around me. I said, I don't need you. I, I even, I read the, the Bible the first two months as a Christian, and when I would meet people who were older spiritually than me, I'd ask them, have you read the entire Bible? If they said no, I either told them to my face or in my head, I'm not going to listen to you because I know more than you. Just completely arrogant. And I remember uh, as the year went by, one of my friends told me, hey, go visit Atlanta there's a campus ministry, over 100 college students, and they're on fire for Jesus. I was like, yeah, right. I'm the only one on fire for Jesus. <laughs> and so I went and I got humbled because I visited Georgia Tech and I looked at these people and I said, you, God cannot use you. You are weird. You are an engineer. You are geeky. You are nerdy. Um, God will never use you. He'll use someone like me. And then I spent time with them and saw that he was using them more than me. And I was like, oh, man, maybe, maybe it's not my character. Maybe it's not my personality, but rather my character. And I remember uh, I got along with the campus minister there, um, and he invited me to come back for the summer and train. And uh, after getting to know me a little bit more and seeing how arrogant and selfish I was, he pulled me aside and he said, John, you're really great. You've got all these talents, all these abilities, but you're really prideful. And God opposes the proud. Uh, and I actually believe that God is opposing you right now. So I uh, actually don't even think that you'd be useless to this ministry. I think you'd be a detriment. So don't come back here until you humble out. And I left because I was prideful. Uh, and because I knew that brother loved me, and because he was willing to speak the truth to me, I humbled out, I came back to stay for the latter half of the summer, and then I never left. It's funny how God works these things out. Uh, and that's how I got in Atlanta. I finished grad school last year. I started in the ministry like two weeks ago, uh, full time. And it's been a greatest blessing ever because I've looked and I've seen, wow, God can use some broken, messed up, arrogant people and change their hearts. But that came because I had a lot of people around me who encouraged me and held me accountable. And so my first point, some of you guys are thinking, wow, he just started his first point. Uh, my first point is don't love to speak the truth, rather speak the truth in love. So let's open up our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. And the context of what's going on right now is you've got false teachers kind of swaying the church around, um, leading them to go astray, and a lot of uh, the Jew-Gentile issues where the Jews are saying, you need to be circumcised, you need to keep to the law if you really want to be a Christian. And so Paul's writing to address these false doctrines and, and these other instances of people watering down the gospel, watering down the message of Jesus. And that's something I think we can relate to now. Um, you know, we, we've been talking and appreciate how you guys mentioned Joel Olstein, uh, like every lesson. But uh, 
the, the mega church thing in Atlanta, it's big. You know, you don't wanna, you don't wanna follow discipleship. You don't wanna follow commitment. You don't wanna believe in lordship. Uh, there's plenty of places where 40,000 people are gathering and you don't have to. You don't have to believe that homosexuality uh, is wrong. You don't have to believe um, that racism is wrong. Um, and there are places that preach that. There are places that say we will not take a stand on these issues because we don't want to alienate anybody else. And they're not willing to speak the truth in love. And I think this is incredibly important because we read in verse 14, it says, then. And I think it's important to understand when it says then. What is he thening about? If he's saying then, he's referring to something else. And so to keep it in context, we read in verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And right here we see it's all about reaching the full measure of Christ. It says we need to become mature, and it's important. It says we cannot reach the full measure until we become mature. So how do we become mature? That's where the then comes in. Verse 14, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. And so the goal is not to be like infants. I'm four years old spiritually. That's still pretty infantile. But what is one thing that infants do? They poop themselves. And Paul is saying right here, that we, our goal is to no longer poop ourselves spiritually. And yet, when you're at that age, sometimes you just can't help it. And you need some other people to help, uh, help out. And there's actually a sister in Atlanta. She was babysitting for uh, a toddler. And the toddler was being potty trained, uh, but he was afraid to go poop. He, he would hold it, and he would just wait till his parents put on his diapers, and he would go in his diapers. And so there was one time where they were like, all right, we're stopping with this. And so he held his poop for like three days. And she was taking care of him at the time. And uh, they just told, you know, hey, change him out, put on a diaper. So she plops him up on the table and uh, starts unchanging him and realizes she forgot the diaper. So she goes to the other side of the room to grab the diaper. And this kid cannot hold it anymore. And so he just, he goes, and it's like a really nice house, really, you know, kind of upbeat family, and they're like, you know, make sure nothing wrong happens. And it's like he's on top of a white carpet. (laughs) And so this sister with the athleticism of Usain Bolt runs across the room and dives and grabs the poop in her hands. But the thing is, when we keep each other accountable, we prevent the, the spiritual darkness, the spiritual waste from hitting the surface. And when Jesus died for us and made us clean and made us white and made us holy and made us pure, he gave us each other to keep us that way. And holding each other accountable is the same thing. When we speak the truth in love, We dive 
for each other, no matter what comes out. And that's why we're called, and that's why he says, you need to do this to attain the full measure of me. And becoming accountable, it's a serious thing because it leads us to, the scripture says it leads us to be like Christ. When we call each other out, it leads us to be like Christ. And it's something we need to be willing to do daily, to call each other out, to speak the truth in love. And he says there's enough truth for people to build a conviction. It says so that they're not blown back and forth by the waves. That you speak to them so that when false doctrines, false teachers, or easy teachings come up, they're not going to give in to it. But it also says there's enough love to build them up. You're not tearing them down. You're building them up to be like Jesus. And you have to love them to build them up. So enough truth did not keep them from wavering, but enough love to build them up. We need to have, we need to have thick skins and soft hearts. It's like a velvet hammer. One of the guys I was studying the Bible with, if you reference my name, he'll just go like, and he called me the hammer. <laughs> um, but he knew that I loved him. And so he, he'd, he'd come in and he'd be like, all right, give me the hammer, John, I need it. I'm like, I want to encourage you. He's like, no, I need the hammer. I need the hammer. And we had to work on that a little bit. But the, the, the idea of a velvet hammer, that it, it's still a hammer, it comes down. But when it hits you, it's like, oh, that wasn't that bad. They love me. <laughs> They care about me, uh, just like John said. They, they, they want me to do better. They want me to grow. It's not out of a place of anger or impatience. It's they see that I'm hurting Jesus, or they see that I'm hurting myself. And I recognize that they don't want me to do that anymore. And we become grateful when people call us out on our sin. You know, But sometimes it's not always the best to speak the truth. Uh, I have a friend, he came up with here, so I won't mention him by name, but if you look right there, that's him. <laughs> and when he, he was in high school, he was dating this girl. And after a while, he was like, huh, I don't really like this girl anymore, and I don't think it's best for my relationship with God. So in the middle of school one day, he pulls her aside, and he says, hey, can I talk to you? And so he says, hey, I don't think we need to be together anymore. Uh, you're not really good for my relationship with God. And some of the girls are getting wide-eyed. That's a no-no, guys. <laughs> Do not say that. And so she was angry. The next couple of days, all her friends stopped talking to him. She was avoiding him. Um, there was like one class he was taking, and they just moved all the desks away from him. And he's just off in the corner by himself, like just malicious. Um, and a couple of weeks later, uh, she comes to him and she's really sorry that she did all of this. And she says, hey, can we talk? I just want to apologize. And so she's talking to him. She's just this great apology. And she's like, let's just, let's hug it out. And so she goes in for the embrace. And all of a sudden, bam, knees him right there. Yeah. And he went down, middle of the school parking lot. My point is, it's not always the best to speak the truth in love. 
The second point is, is that when you speak, it needs to be based on love. So open up your Bibles to Philemon. Uh, and and there's, a, there's a story about this one brother in my life, one of my best friends. He's an example of constant love. My birthday is December 8th. His birthday is December 9th. Two years ago, he called me on my birthday. I'm sorry, his birthday is December 7th. My birthday is December 8th. He called me on my birthday, and he had this whole birthday song. He, he, lived like, he lived in Pennsylvania. He made a whole skit with his family on the phone for my birthday, and he does this whole thing, this whole production. I was like, man, that was awesome. I can't wait to call you for your birthday tomorrow. And then he was like, actually, <laughs> my birthday was yesterday. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I am the worst. I am the worst friend ever. And I was touched. He didn't need to say anything. He was a little hurt by it, but he didn't need to say anything. He went through all of that. And despite the fact that I forgot his birthday, he was still willing to do that for me. And there was no sign that I had hurt him. There was no sign because it was completely based on love. Um, and, and this man loved me. He would call me every week, pray with me, and that's why when things got rough in my life or I was just an idiot spiritually, he could say whatever he wanted to me. And we have an example of this in Philemon in verse 8. It says, Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet, Paul says yet, though I could order you around, though I'm an apostle, Though God came to me in a special revelation, though I've done more for this church than you or anybody else, I could simply tell you what to do. Yet, I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is none other than I, Paul, an old man, and also now a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And he says, we have established a relationship of love. And I don't need to use coercion or fear but rather love to appeal to you. And it's the most powerful appeal that we as Christians have, that by our love, we can break down barriers and we can break down walls. I had the chance to go to one of our churches in Indonesia and they're doing amazing things over there, the biggest Muslim population in the world. And they are baptizing people like crazy. And it is amazing. And I got to talk to the leader there and I asked, how do you do it? How do you grow so rapidly? Because it takes like six years to convert a person over there. Uh, it's a big, big deal. And he says, well, the, the, the Southeast Asian community, it's very tight-knit. So people are very familial and communal, um, but very surface level. But the Muslims are very tight and deep. And we realized we had to take it to the next level. We had to show that their depth, their love, their community was nothing compared to the one that Christ had. And it's amazing because you go there and they start church at 8 in the morning. And they don't leave until 6 at night. And they're just there hanging out with each other. Loving each other. Spending time with each other. Sacrificing and encouraging each other. And the people there see the love and they recognize that's what I want. 
that's what I want to have. And when you're in that community of love, and you see, you're able to see Jesus. You're able to see how you can become like Jesus. You're able to see how Jesus heals you. You're willing to listen to the people in that community. Because you know that when they say something, when they call you out on your character, when they ask you to do something, it comes from a place of love. And you don't even need to say, I appeal to you on the basis of love. It's like, all right, I know you love me. I get it. I appreciate it. I love you too. And we get to call each other to be like Christ. In Proverbs, it says, wounds from a friend can be trusted. Love somebody enough, encourage somebody enough to where they trust you to say anything, to where they know in your heart there's only a place of love that it comes out of. You know, it's inspired me to take some of my training times and not just hammer down the people that I'm training, uh, but rather to just build a relationship with them. And I think this is a great practical. So as Carrie mentioned before, one of my favorite movies is Moana. And uh, the disciple who shall not be named, one of his favorite movies is also Moana. So during one of our training times, we decided, all right, let's watch Moana for the sixth time this month. And then let's preach at each other on it. And we got up, we watched the movie, we teared up a little bit because it's a great movie. And we just got up, we brought up the Bible, and we just started yelling at each other. We were preaching the word at each other. And you ask him, and he's like, that's one of my favorite memories. We've done so much together. We've spent so much time together. Um, And I've been able to see you transform in the past two years that I've known you. Um but it's the memories when you do something that you know the other person loves and you get to share that with them. And then we talked about some deep stuff and we challenged each other. And it wasn't an issue and we didn't feel weird at each other and we were like, this is awesome. Call me out on this sin, call me out on that. Because there's that relationship of love. And this gets to my final point is where we need to be smart and learn how to read the situation. Learn how to read if we need a little bit more encouragement or a little bit more accountability. And if we can pull the clip up, I want to show an example of a time when somebody completely misread the situation. I don't know if there's been any of you guys where you've totally misread something. Um, But I think this is a great example. Tell me something I don't know about you, Erwin. I, uh... What are your, your hopes and dreams? Take me on a tour of your psyche. Jeez, I don't know. I, I guess I'm just your average guy, I guess. Right, but if you had to expand for the two minutes that we're on the ride? Right. Um, what are your parents like? Oh, uh, well, my, no, actually, my dad... Wait, 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 wait. Let's see if I can guess. I want to sure. see what I'm psyche. Okay, okay mm-hmm. here it yep. is. Your mom gets on you about your grades and practicing your instrument. She makes a great egg sandwich after years of owning a small restaurant downtown. Your dad, quiet, gruff, never really says I love you, um, but with a stoic presence, you, you, I mean, you know he cares. I'm really hoping none of that was racist, but now I'm thinking all of oh. it was. No, no, not, not racist at all. You know, you're good. Yeah. 
Whoa, wait, oh, what? oh my god. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, was that was that bad timing? Because I <laughs> thought it was good timing because you were on a Ferris wheel oh, and you're wow, upset. Okay. I'm just trying to comfort you. That oh, was yeah. weird. We, sh we should probably get off. We should get off. Yeah, that was... Hey, excuse me. Irwin. Can we be let off? Erwin. Can we please? Can we stop the ride? <laughs> Can we just stop it? <laughs> I'm sorry. For, I didn't mean to raise my voice. Oh my god, Erwin. Erwin misread the situation. If you open up your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, my final point is don't just read your Bible, read the situation. And it says here in chapter 5, verse 12, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and admonish you, Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. And so Paul's giving instruction. He says, oh, look, there's different things you do for different type of people. For those who are lazy who are divisive, who are hurting others, who are ignoring the word, warn them, rebuke them. For those who are disheartened, encourage them. For those who are weak, help them. And despite however they may act, be patient with them. And this is something that's been a constant challenge for me. Um, as I shared before, I literally, when I became a Christian, I would say the stupidest stuff. I still stay, say stupid stuff. Um, but I, I would go around and I would say, you know, there's at the top always God, Jesus, they're, they're number one. Then there's me. Then there's everybody else. I told people that. I believe that. I told people, I'm not going to listen to you because you can't get rid of this sin in your life. I told people that you're not good enough for God's kingdom because you don't share your faith enough. You don't do this enough. And I hurt a lot of people. And I lacked a lot of love. And for a while, Jesus was no longer in the picture because I became the idolized version again of the person I wanted to follow. And amen, when I start following me, it just leads to shambles and panic attacks. And I remember, I've got to look back to Jesus. Um, but I appreciate, because one of the biggest turning points in my life uh, was when I was still in Pennsylvania before I moved to Atlanta, and I was just doing terrible spiritually. Um, I was having my own church services. I was just like, I don't need them. They're evil. They're the worst. And my best friend who baptized me came up. He flew on a plane in the middle of the semester. And I made him sleep on my floor because I had one of those small twin beds. Um, and he loved up on me. He encouraged me. And I was in a bad place. I was hard to love. I bet he had to read that, be patient with everyone. And he loved up on me. 
and he encouraged me. And he, the things I was saying, he, he validated some of them very wisely, very tactfully. But he said, wait a second, John. You're being selfish. This is some of the most selfish stuff I've ever heard come out of your mouth. I'm like, man, I've heard that one before. And he said, look, you, you can complain about everything that's going around, but what are you doing about it? What are you saying? What are you giving? You're just running away. And I needed that truth after a lot of encouragement. And I needed a lot more encouragement than I needed truth, even though I was being a complete idiot. And we need to recognize how to read the situation. And I had, a, I had another milestone moment in my life. Uh, one of my co-leaders for, um, we call them Bible talks, but they're like cross chats. We were planning something for the week. And we had been off communication. She had a lot of tests coming up. And so I was asking her if she could do this small thing for me because I was swamped that week. I had a lot of work from my grad school. Um, I literally had no space in my schedule. And she was kind of swamped that week, but she was feeling it. And so she started getting really passive-aggressive, which is bad because I'm super assertive and blunt, and I study passive-aggressiveness, and I realized what she was doing. And so she would send all these passive-aggressive texts towards me, um, and I got really upset. I'm like, she sent me a picture of her schedule, and she's like, you think I can do anything? And I was like, my schedule's busier than yours. And I just, I wanted to go off on her because she was like, well, I'm worried about school. And I'm like, you don't need to be worried about school. You need to be worried about Jesus. And I just wanted to yell at her. I was, I was feeling it that day. And I don't know what happened. It's probably the Holy Spirit. And it said, go buy her a piece of pizza. <laughs> she loves white cheese pizza. And I like had, I went to the pizza place and for 20 minutes, I went in the line, out the line. In the line, out the line. I was like, maybe I'll use my contribution money for this. No, I can't do that. This, and, and I, I did not want to. I wanted to yell. I was just angry, angry. And I eventually bought the pizza. And I texted her. I'm like, hey, where are you at? She's like, oh, I'm in this building. So I go to the building, and I'm like trying to text her like, hey, where are you at specifically? She's not texting me back. Like for half an hour, I'm going through the whole thing looking for her. And I'm just steaming at this point. Part of me steaming, part of me is like, man, I'm so spiritual. I'm actually doing this. Um, <laughs> and I walk in, and I eventually find, I eventually, because I had a Bible study, and I'm like, hey, I'm trying to give you a piece of pizza. Where are you at? And she texts me back, and I give it to her. And I left, and we talked about it, and we resolved it. Um, but I was actually talking to her the other day, and she's like, do you want to know what my perspective was when you did that? I was like, yeah, that actually would be really interesting. Um, and she said that when you get passive-aggressive, when she was getting passive-aggressive, it was all about defending her viewpoint and herself. And she wanted to defend her actions. She wanted to defend her mindset. And when I came and I did that token of love, it made her realize that it was safe to talk to me about what she felt. That she didn't have to hide or defend herself from me, but that rather I cared about her. And she realized that I cared more about her friendship, more about her feelings, 
than I did about my pride. And then I told her what I was thinking. And she's like, oh, well, maybe not. But when we love each other and we do these acts of love, sometimes it can speak louder than our words. But we still need to follow up with it. And we still need to speak the truth. But sometimes it doesn't have to happen in the same moment. It needs to happen, but we need to discern when is the right moment. And so to finish out, I want to give us some practicals on how we can discern when is the best time to do each, each one. And there are three practicals. The first one is that we need wisdom. The, the, one of the guys who trains me uh, will always say, well, maybe not always say, I did something stupid one time, uh, story of my life. And he pulled me aside and he said, John, I want to commend you for your boldness. I never would have said that in front of these people. But now I want to rebuke you for your lack of wisdom. And rebuke me, he did. And we need wisdom. And the way we get wisdom, especially as college students, is we need to ask a lot of advice from people who have experienced life who have experienced more, who have a greater understanding or perspective than we do. And the practical is to ask a lot of advice. You can ask Taj. I get him on this. I'm like, ask me advice on everything. Because the times when I'm doing the best spiritually, I'm in contact with the people who are training me. And I'm saying, how should I organize my day? I know, yeah, I've done this Bible study a million times, but how would you do it with this person? How would you have this conversation with this person? How would you do this? When you've got these two things going on, which one would you rather go to? This thing's going on my life. This is how I'm feeling. What should I prioritize my time with? And I begin to learn how the other person thinks. Because 95% of the time, they end up saying the stuff that I already know or that I already think. But then there's those times they say something and I'm like, wow, I didn't think about that at all. I didn't know about that at all. I didn't look at it that way. I remember a time I was angry at a sister and I just, again, wanted to go off on her. Continuing trend in my life. And uh, I was expressing how I was feeling and Wahai's brother was just sharing, well, this is the context of what was going on and this is why she responded that way. And I realized what she did was a very loving thing maybe not the wisest thing, but a very loving thing. And it subsided my anger. And that way when I went to her, again, it was a method of encouraging rather than uh, accountability and resolving the conflict, resolving the issues and calling each other higher that way. But I, I can't stress enough, ask advice, seek training. If you feel like you're not getting enough advice, Go bother Carrie or TC or one of these guys and just say, teach me how to do what you do. What would you do in this situation? What would you do here? Ask them a million questions. Because these are great guys and it's learning, all right, how do you think? Because when you can add how somebody else who's wise in the Lord, how they think, their gifts, their talents, and you can build that into your own toolbox because you bring your own gifts and talents. And then when you do that with like 10 other people, God can use you so much more. And when you're deciding, all right, do I need to be encouraging? Do I need to be accountable? Ask somebody older who's experienced it, who's seen what's gone wrong, and get that advice and get that wisdom. 
I think the second thing is, you can open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 11, is to pray. And I, I know for me, um, you know, in Acts chapter 6, it says, uh, you know, we need to devote ourselves to the ministry of the word and give our attention to prayer. And I look at my schedule and I give a lot of devotion to the ministry of the word. I'm in a lot of Bible studies. I'm in a lot of training groups. Um, I'm at church. I'm doing a lot of stuff with the word. And the only thing I'm doing with prayer is my personal times with God. And there's really no ministry of prayer. And I don't think this lines up with the Bible because you look in Luke chapter 11 and verse 5. It said, Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread, because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So imagine this situation. It's like two o'clock in the morning. You just got back from the bonfire. And you're one of the people from Atlanta who are staying at somebody's house. And I get a little hungry and I'm like, man, I want some bread, Chris. Can you go get me some bread? And Chris is like, man, I don't have any bread right now, but I know Carrie has some bread. And so he drives all the way out, and he's knocking on Carrie's door saying, hey, Carrie, give me some bread. And Carrie's like, bro, I'm in bed. You're going to wake up my kids. Shut up. Get out of here. And he's like, no, 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 Carrie, I need some bread. My friend needs some bread. Get him some bread. And eventually, if Chris is like there for half an hour or so, Carrie's going to be like, all right, it's just worth it to give him all the bread he needs and make sure he never comes back again. Shamelessly audacious. And in here, of course, the master who gives the bread is God. But he's saying there's times where we, maybe we're not strong enough to go to God in prayer. But our friends are. And if we're open and vulnerable with our lives, we can encourage each other and keep each other accountable by praying for each other and saying, hey, instead of let me just trying to find the best words I can say for you or ripping you apart with the scripture or doing this thing for you, let me fight for you in prayer. Let me be shamelessly audacious in prayer. Let me go on my knees and beg until you change. Until your heart, until your life changes. That's how I'm going to hold you accountable. You're saying you can't get rid of this pornography addiction. I'm praying on my knees until you do. For some of the brothers, I'm like, I might die of starvation before that happens. But it's saying, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to use the ministry of prayer to keep you accountable. And there's something powerful where God moves and it's not us. And that, that builds something. I don't even know how to explain it. It's like I tell some of my guys, wake up at 5 a.m. in the morning to go pray. Have your daily prayer times with God then. It's better. I don't know why it's better, but it's better. And they're like, well, try to explain it to me. I'm like, I can't. And then they go do it, and they're like, that was awesome. I don't really know what happened, but that was awesome. But when we pray, it builds this spiritual connection between us. 
It builds this trust, this bond between us. And it's easier to keep each other accountable and to love each other when we have this. My final practical is that you need to fix somebody's eyes on Jesus. If you're going to go and you're going to encourage someone and you're going to keep them accountable, you need to cast a vision for them that keeps their eyes back on Jesus. Because if we're not doing it for Jesus, if we're not fixated on Jesus, then we're doing it for our own self-help, our own betterment, or for our own selfish uh, ideas. And I think that the best thing to do is to ask them. So whether you're trying to keep them accountable on purity, on having great times with God, uh, on loving people, being patient, not being angry. I just like to ask, all right, if you woke up the next day and Jesus was sitting on the edge of your bed, what would your day look like? What would be different? Take me throughout your day. And they're like, well, I'd freak out because Jesus was there. And amen, after the fellowship, what would your day look like? And you're like, well, I'd probably spend some time talking with him. And I'm like, all right, would you be on your phone while you're talking to Jesus? No, I'd actually probably go out, drive a couple miles and go into the woods where I know nobody's gonna bother me and Jesus and have my time with God. And it would be awesome. And I'm like, all right, what does your current times with God look like? Well, I do it on my phone, I get distracted, and, you know, everything around bothers me. I'm like, all right, go do that. And it's easy because they came up with the idea, and they've already convicted themselves. Sometimes to speak the truth in love, you just got to get the person to say something. Sometimes to encourage a person when they're hurting, you need them to speak from their heart. And the best way to do that is to cast a vision towards Jesus. And remind them of the commitment that they made. And remind them of Jesus. And so it's important that we revive a lifestyle of incredibly outrageous amounts of encouragement and love towards each other. As well as being able to speak the truth. Because that's what Jesus did. And I know we're all here to live, breathe, and imitate Jesus Christ. Let's close out in prayer. Dear God, uh, thank you, Father, that we can come before you. Father, thank you that we have this family to hold each other accountable, to call each other higher, God. I pray that we will speak the truth and love with each other. God, that we will, we will build a foundation of love that calls us to be like your son. God, and that we will never have to question when people say th hard things to us because we know that they love us. Pray this all in your name. Amen.